Well, I'm glad you're here this morning, and I'm, I'm excited to be going into the next couple weeks as we're going to be talking about the incarnation, the incredible incarnation. And we have three services like this, this Sunday, next Sunday, of course, and we are having a candlelight Christmas Eve service here at 6 o'clock. So come on out, and uh, we'll light our candles together and rejoice in the coming of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Anybody awake this morning? How many are asleep? I want, to, I want to raise your hand. Okay, there's a couple hands that went up said you're still asleep. That, that's all right. Praise God. So just say a good amen, will you? Amen. That'll get you warmed up for church today. See, it helps get you all like ready to go. Praise God. Well, I'm going to sit down this morning. I'm uh, feeling a little weary worn. I, I had an interesting night last night. I had a terrifying dream. Has anybody ever had a terrifying dream? It was, it was very terrifying, and um, I don't want to tell you about it because it was terrifying. You know, you know the Bible says uh, old men will dream dreams. Well, I think I'm getting older now because, boy, it was a doozy. Uh, there's uh, only a couple times in my life where I, I this is the second time, I, I felt like I had a very prophetic dream, and um, God woke me up and, and uh, crying out, and I, it was, uh, Pam started praying all over me, and it was sort of uh, earth-shattering, and um, I will tell you about it sometime, but I don't think my spirit's quite ready for it. I'm still shaking, so it's a little interesting morning for me today, but I want to get right into God's Word. So there's a couple passages of Scripture I, I want you to draw your attention to and have your finger in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 1, and then of course Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to refer to both of these the next couple weeks as well, but the whole world, something incredible. How many know that the incarnation is incredible? The incarnation is a big word, but it simply means in meat. How many have ever had chili con carne? You know, chili with meat. That's what that carne, incarnate, that word carnate means flesh. It means meat. And so Jesus came, God comes in meat. He comes in the flesh. And that's what the, that's what that meaning is. And we want to talk about the incredible incarnation. One of the most amazing things I think is so profound is the fact that we mark our calendars. The entire world marks their calendars by the birth of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? And um, the BC meaning before Christ, but Anno Domini means the year of our Lord. And, and so AD means, it doesn't mean after death. If it would mean after death, there would be a 33 and a half year gap in the calendar, but there's not. And I am so grateful that um, that is one amazing thing, right? That is part of the incredible incarnation, this amazing miracle of the incarnation. So um, let's take the, our Bibles and begin reading in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. And we're going to read all the way down through verse 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, big word betrothed, in other words, they were going to get hitched. That's the Larry Ellis version. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is an important statement. She is with child from the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It was an honorable thing to do, right? If she was found to be pregnant, it, it was dishonorable to be pregnant in those days um, and be unwed. So he was going to do the right thing, apparently. Verse number 20, but as he considered these things, he was thinking about them. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Oh, dreams. Dreams seem to be the theme of the day here for me anyway. Dream and said to, and said to him, appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice the word, it says, it, the thing conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. Notice right away, this is not human seed. This is God being the seed. This is God doing this. In verse 21, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The virgin, meaning the virgin, will conceive. That's a sign. How many know that there's no other possible way for this to happen? This is going to be a sign that a virgin will conceive. And he's quoting Isaiah, right, 740 years earlier. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Powerful statement right there. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Now, his name will be called Jesus. Matthew quotes Isaiah here and says that Mary's pregnant, this pregnant virgin, will be a sign of the coming Messiah. He will be the Messiah. And what is the context of this is so interesting because what has happened in way back in Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, as Matthew quotes Isaiah and says Mary being pregnant was a, a virgin pregnant uh, would be a sign of the coming Messiah, it has tremendous context. So the back history of Isaiah's prophecy is really quite a colorful one. Um, it, what was happening at the time is Syria was besieging Judah, and besieging is a big word, and they had them surrounded, you know, and, and, is, and Judah was afraid. They were afraid that, that Syria was going to attack they were going to be overrun. And so the Bible says that King Ahaz is there. He's a wicked king of Judah. And Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and he says, you know what, Ahaz? I got to tell you something. This whole besieging thing, don't worry about it. Isaiah says, you know, don't worry about it, Ahaz. Even the wicked King Ahaz. You don't have to worry about a thing. Don't have to think about it even. It's not something you need to be concerning yourself with. Well, unbeknownst to Isaiah, uh, wicked King Ahaz had made a pact with the Syrian leaders, and he promised them in Judah as slaves for his own freedom. So he's got this little back thing going, backroom deal going with Syria already. And so in the middle of this, Isaiah's talking to, to Ahaz, and Ahaz is like, oh, I don't really care, whatever, you know, what, things are going to happen, they're going to be, because he's already made a deal, right? And so, and he says, Isaiah says, you know, I want you to ask God for a sign. 
And he says, no, I, I, I really don't need a sign. I don't want a sign. I've already made my deal. In fact, let's pick up the reading in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 10. Is, we are familiar, very familiar with part of this scripture. But in verse 10, if we back up a little bit, it says, And again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. He's trying to act all spiritual, right? He's trying to look like he's like somebody that, oh, I'm not going to test the Lord with, with some sign. Or, I don't really need to do that. And Isaiah is really forceful. And he said, hear then, O house of Israel, is it too little for you weary men that you weary God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Why is it a sign? Because it's in the future. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive. So he says that God is going to take care of this, but doesn't, he doesn't want to trust God. Ahaz doesn't. Friends, I want to let you know something very true. When God gives you a word or he gives you a promise or he gives me a promise, we need to trust him to follow through with that promise. He is going to do what he promises. He will not come back on his word. He will not fail you with the promise of his word if you are trusting in him. Now, this prophecy is 740 years before Jesus is born. The sign will be that a virgin will conceive. Well, that's kind of odd. I mean, who ever heard of that before? That's why it's a miracle. I mean, why is that a sign then? I mean, that was way before Jesus was to be born and this is assigned to every generation now friends that followed that the Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah through the house of David but the Messiah hadn't come yet to this point for Ahaz and Ahaz today it was wait, was waiting and we are waiting again today for the second coming the sign is that God will not let the enemy overrun you he will not let the enemy come uh, come against you you know what the only thing that can stop you and I is you and I we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God isn't finished with you yet, friends. He has a plan for you. There is something planned for you. There is a great agenda. There is a purpose for your life. And the sign that Ahaz is the same sign through Jesus that God has for us today. And, and the Bible tells us that Satan will not prevail against you and God's purposes for your life. And he will not do it until they are fulfilled. Don't lose hope. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. He'll let that promise come through. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. Now the caveat to this is that we're the ones that stop us, right? Satan can't, but we stop us. Our brain gets ahead of what's true and we, we find ourselves in a plethora of information and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and I want you to know, though to know right now and not to worry about Satan because he can't touch you. You know, remember MC Hammer? You can't touch this. <laughs> I'm not going to try the breakdancing thing. I might break something, <laughs> you know, to be broken for sure. Two wonderful points today from this message. Just two. Number one, God became human. God became human. This is why Christmas, this time of year, changes everything. This year I did a, or this Last week, I did a, um, one of our YouTubes on our Facebook lives on the fact of this time of year, this 
time in Christendom that's called Advent or the celebration of Christmas. And I really don't care what day it is. Every day is a day the Lord has made. And every day we should celebrate the fact that he came to earth. But the focus here during this time of year is that God became human. And for us in the church, it's something to focus on because we are the ambassadors in the world. And unless we show that this season, it won't get shown. It'll be overgrown with fat elves and Christmas presents. I want to let you know something, friends. We ought to be praying with our children and seeking God on Sunday mornings and singing with them and rejoicing about the fact that Jesus is born. That's the purpose of that Christmas morning. Not running down or jumping on you to open their presents. Uh-oh. Stepping on Christmas tradition. That's sinful. It's important that we as Christ followers understand that Jesus is God and that he came in the flesh. God became man. This is the most amazing thing about this time of year. Matthew 16 and verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? That's a question for every person. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, son of man. Notice the terms here, the son of man, born of a woman. But who do you say that I am? That's a question for you. That's a question for everybody on this planet, a question that everyone must answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Here in Scripture, both God and man are one and are used to describe who the fullness of Jesus was, right? And the question is still the same today as it was then, the same question that Peter answered, who do you say that I am? It is a question for all time. It's, it's a question for every person. It's a question for every generation. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Everyone on earth answers this question. Is Jesus one of the men that claimed the, claimed the prophets that claimed to be? Is he one, one of the ones that started as one of the religions of the world? All the religions of the world were all created by a man. And I hate the word you use religion for Christianity because religion is man's attempt to get to God where God comes to man in Christianity. Whereas all religions of the world were created by a man. But this is the only faith system in the entire planet where God started it himself. We know that Jesus was God because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. How many have heard of the Immaculate Conception? The Immaculate Conception, right? It is the, the, one of the foundational doctrines. And the term is, is quite simple, really. Immaculate means like Jennifer's house, right? If we were to show up right now, it's all together, all cleaned, everything's put away. It's immaculate, right? We can come over after church, right? Yeah, sure, she says, don't. <laughs> Immaculate is when you've gotten it ready, when you go through and you know you're having company, so you're going in and you're making your house ready. Everything is dusted. Everything is put together. There's the smell of baked bread coming through the building. I mean, it is immaculate. Every decoration is up and you have people. It's immaculate and that's what, it's pure. It's right and that's exactly 
what this means. We know that it was, it's perfect, it's spotless, it's pure, and the immaculate means that you are, you, when you go to someone's house for a party, they have prepared for you as a guest in their home. And that's the word that's used here to describe this. So Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in purity and perfection. It was immaculate, completely pure, of a woman, but the seed of the Holy Spirit. Not the seed that we equate here, not, not a, a, of impure actions of the flesh, um, like some religious systems even today teach. There are some roots, even in Christianity, that teach this, and it's heresy. That, and we hear about it today in, in religions like Mormonism, and this is where they justify their claims that they too will one day be gods, or that they are gods now, just waiting to be given their own planet, and all this kind of stuff. And, and sadly, some of this teaching has crept into the church, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. The idea is that it was perfect. It was immaculate. Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 and 20 both call, say that this was done by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says God is a spirit, right? And we worship him in spirit and truth. We're made in his likeness. We are made in spirit. God has created us this way, the seed from the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Because scripture says, if you remember in the Old Testament, what was happening here that the iniquities of the Father visit the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, right? Well, that can't be true with Jesus, right? Because the seed was of the man, but the seed in Jesus was of the Holy Spirit, not of the Father. But he was very much a son of his mother. And it doesn't say the iniquities of the mothers, the seed is from the man. And so in this prophetically, that it was, he was of incorruptible seed by the Holy Spirit. The deity and human, humanity of Christ, God becoming human, that's the incredible incarnation. That is one of the incredible things. The, no other religion, no, and religion I, again is a bad term, this is where God comes to man. Our founder is God. Praise God of incorruptible seed. 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23. And get your Bibles ready to open to Hebrews as well. We want to read this one together but in Hebrews. But 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, notice the term. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, right? Not of perishable seed, uh, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This is an amazing fact that God became man, Emmanuel, God with us. God didn't send a messenger. He brought the message. Praise God. It doesn't sound like any other religious system in the world. He didn't just send somebody. What does he do? He comes himself. He brought the message. God didn't send someone to redeem you. God comes himself. God comes himself. He is the one that came to you. There's just an incredible picture of God dismissing the charges against us because he pays them himself. He takes care of them himself. I told the story on Wednesday night, but I want to tell it again because it was in preparation for today. So those that were here on Wednesday or watched online, you're going to have to deal with it. I heard a story about a judge and a friend, and, and these two guys were friends, had been friends a long time, and, and the friend, the, the man, he had gotten, a, he had gotten a, a ticket, and he went to the judge, and they were having lunch together, and he says, you know, hey, would you just take care of this for me? 
And so the man, the judge, is being his friend, took the, he said, yeah, I'll take care of it for you. So some time went by, and they were out doing something together, playing golf or whatever. <clears throat> and they're on the golf course, and the man says to his judge friend, he says, you know, thank you for taking care of that ticket and doing your judgy thing. He said, I, I didn't do my judgy thing. I paid the ticket. And the man said, w w wait a minute. <coughs> Hold on a second. I, I, I thought you would do your, your judgy thing. And, and the judge said, were you guilty? Well, yeah, I was guilty. And he said, well, I wouldn't be a just judge if I didn't pay your fine. But I'm your friend. And so I paid it for you. We, are, we owe a great debt. And Jesus, the just judge, has paid it for us. He is the only one. He is God. The second point, and you're really going to, this is really going to knock your socks off. This one's really, it's, it's, it's so different from the first one. God became human. The focus this, on this point, though, is a human. The fact that he was born. You know, it's not like God the, the, God, the deity, God the divine, sometimes you don't have a problem with that. We see Jesus on the cross and dying this death, going in the grave and raising from the grave, and we consider him holy and pure and right. And, and when we see the, Mary and Joseph on the donkey, we envision a little halo over her tummy, right? I mean, here is, but he was very man. Here is God becoming human. He was born. His life was dependent, friends, on others to care for him. Can you imagine? He was a kid. He worked. The humanity of Christ is something sometimes we struggle with. But John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And John 1.14, the Word became flesh. Hmm. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Excuse me. Became flesh. The term begotten has a lot of meaning. How many women have given birth? You understand that this begotten has a lot of meaning. More than a man does. I've been at present for four births and... Uh, it's more arduous for the woman, trust me. Begotten. So he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but begotten in flesh. 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Get this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Are you catching the weight of those statements? That denying that Jesus came in the flesh, that God became human, is the spirit of Antichrist. That we are against Christ. We are against 
his divine plan. We are against all of the goodness and power of all the things that he has for his people. Second John 7 says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. There it is again. So why is it important to believe that he became human? Because he had to become human to die for our sins. As we learn on Wednesdays, Jesus was always the plan. Man didn't mess up and God had to put a band-aid on the situation. Oh no, man sinned. God in his sovereign understanding and will knew that Jesus would be the plan. The Bible says so. These two ideas are under attack, that God became human and God became human. That Jesus wasn't fully God or perhaps even fully man. Some deny that they were both. It's not an illusion that he, that he died, friends. It's not an illusion that he was scourged. It's not only just the Bible tells us. We have history and, and other extra biblical writings that talk about it. It's, it's not an illusion that he died and was scourged for you and me. He really did die for you. He really did die for you because of his great love for you, because of his love for his creation. He had to become human to redeem us. I want all of us to read this, and I pulled it from the New Living, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Read this aloud with me, would you? Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Are you catching that? Only by becoming human, and only by dying, could he break the power of sin in your life and my life. Jesus was born to die, of course. We, we understand that that's the big point of all of this. He, he really was born just to be a sacrifice. He was born to be a piece of meat nailed to a cross. He was born incarnate for us to touch and to feel and to hear and to see because God speaks God and we speak human and we don't listen too well. There's nothing wrong with the broadcaster. There's always something wrong with the receiver. And so God comes in this human flesh in this weak and sickly thing that's going to die, this piece of meat to show us his love. Friends, I cannot understand how anyone on this planet could look at the loving Savior coming in the flesh as Jesus was and seeing the brutality that he willingly suffered on the cross, that he embraced that cross, embracing your shame, embracing my shame, and he died a brutal death, bleeding and scarred and beaten. I can't imagine seeing that and going, well, I just don't get it. He was born to die. God had to become human to break the power of death. See, that's the hope that we have as believers. This life ain't it. Can I say the word ain't? I'm getting rid of the stool too. This life isn't it. This isn't all there is. And I'm so glad for that. We have an eternity. Death has no power over the believer. 
We have nothing to fear. We have the confidence that our God knows how we feel. He is not a God that's untouched. The Bible says after Hebrews 2, further down in chapter 4, we don't serve a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, but in every way it was tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. God knows how you feel. Let me tell you, there's no other religious system. There's no other God that knows how you feel. This is a God that was tested. This was, was God willing to be tried in every way who was able to sympathize with you. It's unlike any other thing on the planet. He is not unable to feel when you hurt. He, he is not somehow removed when you're rejected, despised, or maligned. He, he, he is not unsympathetic when our bodies are broken and we're hurting or sick. He knows that, that it's what it's like to be tempted in every way. We can't say that our God is just just because he's all-powerful and just because he's all-knowing and that he doesn't feel because he feels, friends. He understands your pain. He understands your poverty. He understands your brokenness. He understands your loneliness. He understands your anxiety. He understands. He knows those things. And you know what happens to us? Sometimes we go through life, and somewhere along the way, somebody offends us, or we get wounded, and wounds of rejection are hard. The bruised term there that it's called, he's come to heal the bruised, that, that means that there, when someone is, is like that and suffers that um, since they've been rejected at some point, right? How many have ever had a boyfriend or girlfriend? No, it's talking about I know what you're talking about here. <laughs> How many are married? <laughs> don't raise your hand. I was, let's not talk about that. When we get rejected, what happens? We, we feel wounded. And wounds come, and wounds begin to build in our life. And um, that sense of rejection is the source i got to tell you, our God knows what rejection feels like. He was rejected. He was even rejected by Peter. He was rejected. God knows how you feel. The incredible incarnation says... God became very human. The incredible incarnation is about salvation, which is supposed to be the, the focus of our Christmas worship, that Jesus will come and save his people from their sins. Is this your focus, friends, for Christmas? Is it on Jesus? Because it's okay to buy gifts and eat the food and spend the money to some degree. But if there's anything in our day that's more important than Jesus, we've created idols and idolatry. And you know what is even worse? And I'm guilty. We set our kids up for this idolatry. Because that's what they're looking to more than the idea of God in the flesh taking away the curse of their sin for which we are all in deserve of eternal damnation because of the curse of sin. We have this wonderful Savior. My boys are young men. I think that's why I'm dreaming dreams, because, you know, the Bible says in Joel 2, old men dream dreams. Who knows? I guess I'm getting older. But friends, I, in, in my dreaming, I, I believe that we're in a world that's in disarray. And I believe that part of the, the problem is that God's people, hear this in love. Please hear this in love. 
that we've compromised Jesus to buy into all the entertainment and whims and loves of this world. And it sucked us right in. We've been forced into our homes during COVID and, and we're all hooked on the latest Amazon, YouTube, Prime, whatever, Netflix thing. And we're just stuck there. And, and, and God says, I don't want you there. I don't want you in freedom. I want you to rejoice in me. <coughs> Matthew 124 in our text, the Bible says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. His name was to be called Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Greek-English way that we get the term or word Jesus. In the Hebrew, his name is Yeshua. So, there's, there's, Jesus is a derivative of Yeshua, so, <coughs> which is a derivative of the word of the name Joshua, right? Now, Joshua, we're talking about Joshua, Moses is Joshua, who served with him at, at the first and served Moses, but Joshua's birth name was Hoshea with an H. And Moses changed it. He changed the name. He put a J in front of it. And it made a big difference. And he called his name and making it Joshua. Hoshea, with an H, means saves. But when, when he put the J in front of it, he says, God saves. So Joshua's name meant God saves. But God does one better in naming Jesus. God replaces the O from Hoshea, and he puts an E there. So calling him Yeshua rather than Yoshua. And keep in mind there's a difference between English and Hebrew, so it might be a little difficult to explain. But, but why does God do this? Why does he have this, this added E? And why does God change the name? So the actual name of Jesus, Yeshua, means something powerful. Because by adding the name E, he adds the term I am to the name. The term I am. So when the name is changed, when, when Jesus says, I am, and not only because of the rest of the name salvation, he is basically saying, I am God, your salvation. When you say Yeshua, you say the name Jesus, as we say in English, you are saying, I am the God who saves. That is the name of Jesus. That is his Name, that he is the God who saves. This baby born incarnate, this babe born in meat, this, this babe born in the flesh, you talk to us to come and to live, to die for us. His name means I am God who saves you. I am God who brings salvation to you. And friends, Christians, let's get it right. God didn't just save us for that one time at the altar where we cried our tears or at that Billy Graham crusade or whatever, or we're in our car, or we're in our shower, and say, God, okay, your Savior, or some preacher prayed with us, some prayer that we repeated after him. It's none of that. Salvation for you is forever. It wasn't for that one time where you think, he is a savior of you today. He is the God that saves you from your addiction. He is the God that saves you from your present illness. He is the God that saves you from your trials. He is the God that saves you in the middle of your trials. He is the God that saves you from your bitterness and your unforgiveness. He is the God that heals you in spite of who you are because you're not that great. And I'm not that great. But he is great. Come on, somebody's preaching now. Jesus is our salvation. 
That's the meaning of incarnation. That's the focus. Now our focus is a little different. We have a big fat elf that flies around and slams, drops off pretend presents to children who should never be taught such things anyway. Come on now. I feel the tension. I feel the tension. I feel the heat. Don't mess with Christmas tradition. I gotta tell you, I think we could just do away with all of it. It's just senseless. I do, and you do, and I'm sure we all do, receive great joy when we gather with our families and give gifts. I love that. <laughs> I love to give gifts. I love to get gifts, you know, but I love it even more when I give something and someone opens it and they, I didn't know that you were even listening to me this year. I'm that kind of giver. I'm not the gift card kind of giver. Somebody's like, uh-oh, this is not working. Out. I got past our gift card for Christmas. Now what's he going to do? No, I love gift cards. Don't get me wrong. But you know those moments when you give gifts and we're together as a family and those moments where the little rugrats are playing with their new train that they got. I love that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But this focus, maybe this year we should begin to plant a lot more Jesus than other things. And I know it's so hard to get kids to get on that track and get excited, but Pam would do some of the most creative things at times to get them thinking about Jesus, that he was born. Oh, that's for another sermon. She can preach it. But anyway, Yeshua means I am God, your salvation. That's the reason that the Pharisees got so ticked off at Jesus because he would say, I am the door, right? I am the way. I am God. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread. Friend, this is our salvation. This is the meaning of this time. Yeshua, I am Savior. The birth of Jesus is the, among the, the, the four greatest events in the history of the world, his resurrection, his crucifixion, his life, and of course, his birth. Why? Because he is God the great I am who saves. Titus 2.13 says, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the global Savior of every nation, tribe, and language. He is the Savior of the Jews. He's the Savior of the church. He's the, the Bible says, Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the lost. He's the Savior of sinners like you and I. Because when he says, I am, he is your door, friend, to whatever lies ahead. He is your way. He is the God that saves you. He is the good shepherd that will lead and guide you. He is the bread of life that will sustain you and give you what you need. He is, I am, Jesus, our Savior.